we bless you. We thank you, Lord, for being our God. We thank you, Lord, for your provisions that you've shown us this year. We thank you, Lord, for every door that you've opened for us this year. How you've been a way maker, God. Knowing, Lord, we just take this opportunity just to say thank you. Thank you for all. Thank you for the small things. Thank you for the big things. Lord, we'll be people that will say with all of our heart, Lord, we believe. Now, Lord, as we get into this word this morning, we pray, Lord, let revelation knowledge flow freely. Unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you. Give me articulation to be able to speak what's in your heart this morning. And give us ears that we may receive what the Spirit of the Lord has for us on this day. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for everything. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts of the Spirit being in operation on this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. So made this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen. Let's get our Bibles and let's turn back, if you will, to Luke. And we're going to look at chapter number two. Luke chapter number two. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about practical applications that we can glean from the actual Christmas story. And one of the things that we need to always remember about the Christmas story is that they are ordinary people that God used. God put them in extraordinary situations and circumstances. And God has a tendency not to explain how chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 is going to work in their lives. No different than he doesn't explain everything in our lives. What he calls us to is to a position of faith where you, yeah, you got to trust God. As I think about the many different places that God has led us this year in my personal family, in the church family, there has been one residing word that has come about this year, which is you got to trust God where he's leading you. He's not going to show you how this part is going to fit with this part, how that part's going to fit with this part. I was reminiscing this morning on how when we came into this building that we didn't have enough money to meet the next lease uh, payment when it came up. And I remember being in the back and we were we were working on some things and trying to get the building together and I wouldn't let it come out of my mouth, but it certainly was in my head. I was like, I almost want to say to Isha, I said, look here, uh, let's not do too much just in case we got to get out of here. <laughs> let's, let's, let's ease up on that and see how next month uh, goes. But I didn't let that come out of my mouth because I knew that we had to stay in faith. And one of the things that happened particularly uh, this year regarding that is the money that we needed came in not four or five days, but literally within a day before the lease was due. And one of the things I learned in the process is you got to trust God. So we see it is the same in our lives as it was in the lives of Mary, Joseph, 
uh, regarding their trust of God. Joseph had to trust God that this woman that came back from out of town wasn't knocked up by somebody else, that she was indeed pregnant with the Savior of the world. Mary had to believe God that Elizabeth was pregnant with a baby when she had been barren for multiple years. And she had to believe God that regardless of the natural circumstances that God could do this supernatural thing in her life. And as we look in the past at Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, I believe this is when she conceives the word of God. It says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant or the handmaid of the Lord. She says, Be it done unto me according to thy word. And as soon as she conceives the word of God, the angel leaves because the work is done. And this is how we got to start conceiving the word of God in our own very lives. That when God says what he says, it's settled where heaven is concerned. Now, you might have to walk out certain things in the natural in order to see manifestation. But see, what happened, what we see with the angels, the angels said she conceived it. Now, I can go on back to heaven into the presence of God. Because as far as heaven is concerned, it's done. And getting ourselves to the position where we start seeing things the way God sees things is the journey of faith. That when God says, yes, you will have that school. Yes, you will have that business. He walks away and says, I consider it done now. And faith says, God, what you see, I agree with, even though I don't see nothing yet. What I see, I see my stomach looks just as flat as it was a few minutes ago. But you said you have conceived the word, you walked away, and I got to start adjusting my thinking to receive it as done now. This is what it means to be in faith. Now, that doesn't mean I don't realize and recognize the natural circumstances or the limitations, but what it does mean is that I don't allow the limitations that I see naturally to speak louder to me than what God has said, because what God says is final authority in my life. And so we've looked at this acronym because I'm going to quickly get here because otherwise I'm not going to finish. <laughs> not that I'm going to finish this morning, but we're going to finish this year <laughs> because Christmas is coming up. We looked at this acronym when she says, be it unto me according to thy word. What does that in fact mean? What does it mean when you say, Lord, I believe? And we indicated to you that the B literally stands for or how we are using the acronym means that it requires a behavioral change that now I have to move to a position of dependency, not on myself, not on my ability, but on my heavenly father. You know, that is the goal of the Christian life to move you from self-dependency to being dependent upon God as your Lord. And when you say, Lord, I believe it doesn't matter whether that area is something that seems big or seems small. You are moving from a position of I got to make my own way possible to God. I believe that you are able to make a way where there even seems to be no way. We use the word, the letter E, as the letter endurance, which means when you say, Lord, I believe, is going to require endurance, then attached and a part of endurance means it also means you're going to be patient. It's the same Greek word usually in the New Testament that where we see the word endurance, it is the same word that means patience. So we are going to patiently endure that I'm not moved when I don't see anything changing in the natural right now. I still believe when I don't see anything moving for me right now. I still believe. 
Yeah, I'll say that. I remember, and I'll just use this example. Uh, when we were indeed building a house, we used to go out there. We signed the contract. Everything was done as far as the office was concerned. But we kept going out there and saw nothing taking place in the natural. We kept looking and said, Lord, had they poured the concrete? Lord, had they built anything? Had there anything going on in the natural? Well, the reality is the contract was already signed. And all I had to do was just simply operate in a level of patience. And one day a house manifested literally from nothing. Patience is required. L stands for this word lifestyle. It required a lifestyle change. We understand Habakkuk 2 verses 4, Romans 1 verse 17, Galatians 3 verse 11, and Hebrews 10 verse 38. All say the same thing, that the just shall live by faith. Now, what's absent from these scriptures, it doesn't say that the preacher shall live by faith and everybody else can live the way they want to. The scripture says that the just, those that have been justified by the blood of Jesus shall live, shall live by faith. Well, how many days of the week do you live? How many days of a year do you live? 360, 24, 7. So my life is supposed to be a life of faith while I'm leaning on God. It's a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. Mary and Joseph moved from the position of whatever they were doing to believe God where it became a complete life to them. Mary literally starts out in Nazareth and by the end of the story of Jesus that we understand his young age uh, of about maybe two or three years old, Mary goes from literally Bethlehem into Egypt. She had to shift her life and to become a lifestyle of faith to believe God that, yeah, wherever you lead God, this is not a one-time event, but this is an ongoing dependent thing that I have to operate by. The letter I, therefore, also, we said, means the word integrity, that God does not overlook areas of character in our life. The word integrity literally means a firm adherence to a moral code or values. And one of the things I have found out and I continue to see is that God will oftentimes pause certain events in your life into that area of character is developed in your life. You say, well, Lord, I want to skip. I want to do this. I want to do that. And God says, I understand you want to do that. I understand that's in your vision. I understand I've called you to it. But your character has to be able to match the position. And so the reason why I would delay certain things is because we got to get this character together. And a lot of people, they hear that say, that's right. You know, they need to have stop having sex out of marriage. They need to stop doing all that. Well, God says, no, no, it's just not that, that area or these big areas. It's these small areas of character that I got to deal with. These areas where you like to cuss a little bit. These areas where you have an attitude with people. These areas where you're short-tempered with folks. He says, I got to get all this fixed so that when you get to the place that I'm showing you, you reflect me, long suffering, your patience, goodness, kindness, you know, fruit of the spirit. A lot of people love to talk about the gifts of the spirit, understanding all of the different complexities of how the gifts of the spirit operate. But the gifts of the spirit, as we've talked before, are exactly that gifts. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be able to operate and function as he wills. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that he cultivates on the inside of you in your life. 
so that you can reflect him where he sends you. And a lot of times God will not release the gifts of the spirit in our lives because the fruit of the spirit are not in manifestation yet. Integrity is a must when you say, God, I believe. Now let's look at this really quick, really, really quick. First Timothy chapter um, six and verse 11. How do I develop in integrity? How do I develop in integrity? I didn't say this last week. I want to put this in really, really quick. How do I develop in integrity? Paul is ministering to Timothy and he's telling him essentially to be a great man of God that you need to flee or run away from the pursuit or the love of money. And specifically, he's talking, if you look at contextually, he's talking about when preachers have a wrong relationship with money where you chase the mighty dollar instead of chasing God. And what he says in verse 11, he says, instead of pursuing money or anything else and making that Lord in your life, walk in integrity and pursue. Watch this. He says, but you, O Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these things. He used the word to pursue righteousness and godly and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness the word pursue means to follow and try to catch or capture so he essentially says if you want to walk as a man of God pursue and try to catch in your life righteousness which is the character of God manifested in your life it is godly life or the old term as we use holiness agreement with God Pursue and try to capture faith, love, and the Greek word there literally is agape, which is this unconditional love. Perseverance, or the King James Version of the Bible uses the word patience. Gentleness, or the King James uses the word meekness, but it literally also means humility. These are words that we don't particularly care for. Humility, you want me to operate in meekness? You almost don't hear sermons today about operating in meekness because meekness is the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit in your life. Where, yeah, yeah, this person might, I might be right and be able to cuss them out because, yeah, you saw what they did to me. God says, I want you to operate in humility and I want you to bless those that curse you. I want you to do good to those that do you harm. He says, when you do this, you are acting like me and I'm developing in this area of character. <clears throat> Amen. He goes on to say in verse number 12, fight the good fight of faith. Because in order for any of these things to manifest in your life, it's going to require that you fight the good fight of faith. Amen. Now, this morning my assignment lies here at EVE, if I have that correct. E-V-E. Now, the word or the letter E, as we're using it, stands for this word excellence. It stands for this word excellence. Let's jump down for the sake of time. The scripture says in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 2, it talks about the fact that they, the Romans issued a census which relocated Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem is where they give birth to the baby Jesus. Verse 7 says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths, as the New International Version says, and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
Now let's look at verse number eight. The scripture indicates, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse nine says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. So now you got to get a picture of what's going on here. They're shepherds. They're outside of the city of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they go from just seeing natural campfire to seeing this massive illumination of light all around them. And if you saw this and you've never seen this, because in our generation, we're so used to certain things that we're used to, you know, light showing up, airplanes going by, all of these kind of things. But in their day, they went from being able to see the sky and see this fire to seeing this massive light. And so, yes, they were terrified at what they, in fact, saw. Verse number 10 says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He says, watch this. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you some information that everybody's been praying about. I bring you good news. He says, verse number 12, and this shall be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to all those on whom his favor rests. And 15, of course, says, and when the angel angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about the thing I want you to notice is verse number 10 he says I was afraid or the angel says do not be afraid I bring you good news I submit to you that the shepherds represent the chosen the shepherds represent the chosen. Let's continue to go. I want to show you something this morning. Simeon, let's look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 as we continue on within that chapter. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was a righteous and devout. He was righteous and devout. Let's not skip over that. Righteous, which is also the same Greek word that's defined in Joseph's life as the word just. It's the same Greek word, which means he was equitable. It means he was innocent. It means he was holy. And then in this translation uses the word righteous. It also means virtuous and upright. He says a definition of his character. Luke responding and talking about who he is. He says this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was, watch the term, on him. Verse 26, it was revealed, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child. So what was happening is that after the manger scene takes place, the, the, the shepherds come, they come, they witness what the birth of Christ and they come and they have the whole what we understand the nativity story after this a couple days later they bring Jesus to the temple to present him as a custom of the law as they do this they run into or they encounter this man named Simeon 
Verse 27, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts when, he, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required. Verse 28, and Simeon took him in his arm and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, you have as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of, the, of your people, Israel. I submit to you again that Simeon, just like the shepherds, represent the chosen. Let's keep going to verse 36. It indicates to us that there was another person while Simeon is saying this and having this encounter with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, there's a prophet in the midst of them named Anna. A prophet in the midst of them named Anna. Verse 37 says, and when she began to hear that she had left uh, defining who she is, it says, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. So we see definitions again. With Simeon, we see a person that's righteous and devout. With this woman named, or this prophet is named Anna, let me take a side journey here. Obviously, the God doesn't have a problem, problem with women in ministry because we see yet another woman that's in the ministry. It must be that this whole problem that we have with women in ministry is something that's man created because it obviously shows up in scripture. It says again, she had never left the temple but worshiped day or night and day fasting and praying. And then notice here, verse 38 says, coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child uh, the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption. So in other words, she got an opportunity at an old age to see and witness the Messiah herself. We see three groups of people. We see the shepherds, which most of us talk about when we're talking about the Christmas story. But we also see Simeon, who's in the temple, that God promised you would not see death until you saw the promised Messiah. And then we also see the prophet Anna, or Anna that she actually witnesses as well this same uh, miracle of seeing the Messiah. The thing that God wanted me to show you in, risk, in the midst of this is that excellence is, 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 has its root in being faithful. Excellence is, notice it says, and she never left the temple but worshiped day and night fasting, which means she's continually doing something before God that only God sees, but it's something done in excellence. We see the shepherds represent people that are forgotten but are faithfully doing what God called them to do. It says in verse number eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields and they were keeping watch over their sheep or their flock at night. They are consistently doing their divine assignment. They represent people that are faithful to the assignment to which God has given them. I always find it interesting that God did not go to the temple and announce the same way that his son had been born like he did to these shepherds. He goes out into a field when everybody else is sleeping and makes a personal announcement to these shepherds. He tells this man named Simeon who doesn't have rank, he doesn't have stature, he says your eyes will see the Lord's Messiah. He says to this woman named Anna that you will see this, this Messiah. It's something about faithful people that have the heart 
of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with the blessings. A faithful man shall abound with the blessing. These three groups of people all get information, revelation directly from God concerning what's getting ready to take place in the earth. I submit to you they also represent the forgotten people in whom God still sees. As I said before, none of them have rain. In fact, shepherds are considered, you know, kind of lower class within the societal structure. They weren't scribes. They weren't Pharisees. They were people that just had common jobs and they did their job away from the public view. And yet God decided that these people I will give this information to. I'm not going to tell the priests here. I'm not going to tell the, the, these other notable people here. No, I'm going to come out into the middle of nowhere and give them this information. The forgotten people is what this represents. Now watch this. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. The scripture says in the King James Version of the Bible, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Now notice he says God is not unrighteous to forget. Which means to me that, yes, if God were to forget the good stuff that I'm doing, the righteous stuff that I'm doing, it's an unrighteous thing for him to forget this. A lot of times we are very um, acquainted with God remembering our sins, even though he said, I choose to forget those sins. But we oftentimes don't realize that God says, I consider an unrighteous thing if you think that I have forgot your labor of love which you have shown towards me or shown towards, watch this, which ye have shown towards his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God told me to tell you, he hasn't forgotten anything that you've done in his name and out of the abundance of your heart. That small thing that nobody saw, the way you set that up, the way you spent hours over here, the way you spent hours over there, working here. God said, nobody else might have seen it, but I haven't forgotten that your labor of love is still a memorial in heaven for you. Now watch this, the New, Trans New Living Translation says it like this. For God is not unjust. He will not forget. Watch how he says, I love this, how hard you work, you have worked for him. And how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. The shepherds represent people that are consistent, that are faithful. And because of their consistency and not phoning it in or just doing something to be doing it, but doing it with excellence and caring for the sheep, God says, I'm going to give them special information. The faithful, the forgotten, the faithful, the forgotten, E represents operating in excellence. And I submit to you, they also represent people that have a pure heart. As I said before, they were not elite. They were not considered, the shepherds were not considered the educated people of the day. But he doesn't go. The angel Gabriel, the angel doesn't show up at the temple. He doesn't show up at the lawyer's office or the scribe's house. He shows up in the midst of the shepherds, 
faithful people working in excellence from their heart. Jesus says, in fact, in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Bless are the pure in the heart, for they shall see God. Now watch this in the uh, Passion Translation. The scripture indicates this. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure. For then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. Pure hearts. People just doing what God signed them to do. Pure hearts. People doing it with the right motivations and the right or the right motives. Pure in hearts. People that are just saying, God, if nobody sees what I'm doing, you see what I'm doing. And I work as unto you. God says, I haven't forgotten anything that you've done. I haven't forgotten how you called that person. I haven't forgotten when I prompted you to write that letter. I haven't forgotten how you've done things when nobody else knows about it. God says, everything that you've done, he says, I see it, I know it, and it's going to amount for good in your life. Let's keep going. V, the letter V, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 2. V represents this word vision. V represents this word vision. When you say, Lord, I believe, it's going to require vision. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1 says, And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi, or wise men as the King James says, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. And when it rose and have come to worship him, I submit to you that the wise men show us um, certain principles regarding vision. They said, we saw this star in the east and we have relocated ourselves to worship him. So what do the wise men show us within this particular story? That everyone can't see what you see. Why is it everybody didn't go? I often wonder, I mean, if this star is so big and so great, why is it that everybody from these wasn't relocating themselves to see the Messiah? No, the Bible said these wise men, or the word literally is the magi. Let me take a side journey here just for context the scripture never indicates to us that there were three wise men. It says wise men, magi. It could have been 20, it could have been 30, it could have been five, it could be three, it could be any number. We really don't know. The only thing the scripture tells us is that there were three gifts or three divisions of gifts. So any image that you see where they only show three wise men, that's not necessarily scripturally accurate because we don't know how many wise men did in fact come. Okay, just a little point of reference. <clears throat> Everyone can't see what you see. Verse number nine says, after they had heard uh, the king, they went on their way. In other words, what happened in the scripture, they went to Herod and they said, hey, we have come from the east. We want to see this new king. Now Herod, because he's a insensitive or he is an insecure leader, he wants to know exactly where in fact is the new Messiah so that he says so we can worship. But in fact, his motivation was so that we can kill the king. Everybody can't be trusted. Everybody won't see what you see. Everybody doesn't have the correct motives in regards to what you see. 
He says, after they had heard the king, heard, uh, heard the king, they went on their way and the star and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Now let's pick, pick up and take a, a quick notice here where the child was. It does not say baby. It says where the child was. The scripture tells us, because of the sake of time, I'm not going to show you all these things. Herod asked a distinct question. When did you start seeing this star? And they said about approximately around two years. So by the time the wise men get to Jesus, it's been about two years. He is not a small infant. He's in the, what, toddler stage. So in other words, again, if you see a nativity scene and they have three wise men with shepherds, that's not scripturally accurate. The wise men never saw Jesus laid in a manger. Are y'all with me? All right. So the scripture says, the star obviously was moving because it relocated right over the house where Jesus was. And when, verse number 10, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So they followed their vision to they saw manifestation. Your vision, watch this, will cause you to relocate and reposition towards a set place and a set time that God has determined. It will always cause you to relocate and reposition. You see something, your vision is going to cause you to get up in the morning. Your vision is going to cause you to relocate from where you currently are, maybe geographically, maybe spiritually. It's always going to cause you to relocate from where you are, to reposition your thinking from where it was to where God wants it to be. Another thing that the wise men show is that everyone won't chase what you chase or what you see. They told Herod that we've come from the east to worship the newborn king. And Herod does not get up and say, well, I'm going with you. Everybody that you tell what you want to do, the vision that you see, everybody's not going to chase it. There might be people in your life that have a similar vision, but they won't do the things that are required to accomplish the goal. The question is, will you? Will it encourage you or discourage you? Or will you say, regardless, if you don't move, I'm still going to chase after this vision that I see. Everyone won't understand also your heart of worship. Verse 11 says, let's keep going. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. Now, I can't I, I notice again, it does not say baby because Jesus was approximately around two years old at this point. And they saw and bowed down and worship him. And watch this. They then then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is where we've derived this notion of being three wise men because they gave three gifts. Now, if we just take that out of the picture and the wise men gave Jesus gold, maybe it was a bunch of gold. The wise men, plural, gave him frankincense. Maybe it was a bunch and not just one gift. The wise men gave Jesus myrrh. And the scripture indicates, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts. So it has to be that a part of their worship was giving from their very personal belongings. 
You can't say you love God and you don't give of your own wealth. You can't say you, you love God and you don't give of those things that you personally treasure. The stuff, you know, the money stuff that means something to you, you don't give it to God, but you say, Lord, I love you and I worship you with all of my heart. God says, that's not true because you don't present any gifts to me. The whole reason why in the Christmas season we exchange gifts is after the similitude of the wise men that gave gifts to Jesus. And so in this season, that's what we give gifts to each other. It represents what the wise men did in this first Christmas or story that we have compiled together because we understand it's been about two years. Now watch this. In the life of Mary and Joseph, we do not see where God provided anything financially for them. It was about two years or so. During this process of time, two years, three years or so, Mary conceived the baby. She moved and relocated herself to Elizabeth's house. That cost money. And after that, she had to go back home. That cost money. When she gets with Joseph, there's a census that comes about, and they go into, uh, into Bethlehem. That costs money to go to Bethlehem. In the process, they, they stay in Bethlehem. The scripture says they get a house, and this is where the Magi show up. But all of these things cost money, time, and things. And in one one night or one day, whenever this was, God pays them back. The word frankincense or the word myrrh, literally it represents God providing the monetary needs that they had. It gives them everything back and then more so for everything they had already done because God hasn't forgotten them. Frankincense represents literally bodily provision. It represents God taking care of my body. Frankincense was vitally uh, expensive during this time. Even some scholars even say that the Frankincense represents something that was more valuable, even perhaps than gold. And God sent these three or these three divisions of gifts into their lives in one day. Myrrh represents health care. What, what used to happen in this time period is they used to ingest this as a type of medicine, and they even could put it on their skin. And so in one day, everything that they had sacrificed, God said, I'm going to pay you in this one instant and it's going to be enough to take care of you for the next couple of years. God has not forgotten your labor of love. The money that you are believing for, the thing that you are believing for, you might not see it right now, but there are people that are assigned to bless you. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Now watch this. Let's keep going for the sake of time. The letter E represents expectation. The last letter E represents the word expectation. When you say, Lord, I believe, it requires that you expect God. Every move that you make means that, Lord, I'm looking because you're going to do something based on my response to what you already declared. So the wise men showed us one thing, but they teach us this other thing. They teach us what? If you expect something, do something. They show us how to worship, if you will. They show us about relocation, but they teach us if you really are believing in the vision that you have, you got to do something. As I said before, how many wise men, perhaps where they came from, saw the same star and didn't do anything? How many people has God shown that particular vision that you have, but they didn't do anything? 
I declare when we are at our last day, I want to be able to say, God, I did everything you showed me, or I at least made an attempt at it. The next thing they teach us is if you expect, you can't quit the journey. We don't know what kind of challenges they experience on the way. The, the evangelist Luke chronicles one challenge that they experienced, which was a crooked leader. But that didn't, even that didn't deter them. You know, you can have people in your life that have leadership or they have a position in your life and they are corrupt people, but it should not deter the fact or the vision that you have. Just because they messed up don't mean that it's got to deter what you're doing. You keep focused on what God told you to do and let their corruption, God will deal with that. Let's keep going. They also teach us if you expect, you must know everyone's curiosity is not pure. Herod asked the question, you know, when did you see the star? By what time? Their curiosity in the vision that, that these wise men had was not from a place of purity. You know, sometimes people ask you about your vision and what you're doing and what's going on in your life, and it's not from a position of pure motives. It's because they want to get in your business, or they want to find out this, or they want to be a busybody. And you got to start discerning who's really in my corner, who's really going to pray for me versus who's just simply going to talk about what we're doing. Well, she thinks she's all that. Well, they think they can do all this. Yeah, bless God, we do think we can do all that because we know what he showed us. And I don't share my vision with everybody that's not for me. Let's keep going. They teach us if you expect, you should bring your best to God. As I said a minute ago, they opened up their own treasures and gave to the Lord. Now, if I really expect God, that means I give him my best. I give him my life. I give everything that I am. It means I surrender my life to God. I surrender my gifts to God because I expect God. So what do we see and what do we understand? When you say, Lord, I believe, it means, number one, it requires a behavioral change, which means a physical and emotional change. When you say, Lord, I believe, it requires that you operate in endurance. It means that you operate in a lifestyle shift and change. It's routine. It's daily. It's not just Sunday. It means that you operate in integrity and character. It means that you operate in excellence, which is the heart of faithfulness, that I continually do the same thing, but I do it with a spirit of excellence. It means that I must have a vision of the future over what I currently see that I'm pursuing. It means that I have an I expect God attitude that I don't know. I might not be seeing anything right now, but I have an expectation of God to move in my life. When you say, I believe all of these elements have to be in their proper place. And these are the elements that the Christmas story shows us. How God used normal, everyday people to do extraordinary things for his name. And I declare in the life of this church, everyone that's connected, that God is getting ready to do extraordinary things through your life because you said, God, I believe. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you are king of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that we commit afresh again this morning to just say, Lord, we believe. We believe what you said. We believe where you're sending us. Lord, we believe with all of our hearts and in the place where we are currently, God, we'll operate in faithfulness, 
will operate in excellence, God. Will operate in endurance, God. We thank you, Lord, for the vision that you've shown us. And we have a willingness to relocate and reposition, even in the area of where our integrity and our character is concerned, where you want us to operate in more areas of love. We'll be patient people, God. To trust not just your journey, God, but to trust your methods. And we give you praise, Lord, that you are a good, good father that sees us. You see us, and you haven't forgotten anything. And we just thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's give it time. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, out of obedience. And verse number 15, we'll look at the Amplified Version of the Bible. The scripture indicates, it says, Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, Encourage shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as unwise, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people. He says, verse 16, making the most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Make the most of your time. You know, time is the one thing you can't get back. Even when God forgives you, he doesn't give you more time. So we got to make sure that when we, that the King James used the word live circumspectly. In other words, live with time on your mind. You do not have forever to do what God has assigned you to do. And so we need to be just like Jesus and be about our father's business. He says, verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firm the grasp what the will or what the will of God of the Lord is. In other words, if I confirm, if he's saying that I shouldn't live foolishly or thoughtlessly, he says, but understand firm the grasp. That means that God, again, is not playing keep away where his will is concerned. He wants to show you what his will is for your life. Now, a lot of times what we want is, God, you show me chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, and then I'll start walking. God says that's how it works. What I'll show you in a vision is chapter 12. But each step to get there, it requires a new area of leaning on me, leaning on me where your finances are concerned, leaning on me where your character is concerned, leaning on me in every step because as you begin taking the step in those journey, what begins to happen and you don't even realize it is that your relationship with God is getting more advanced. I trust you God more than I did this time last year. I trust you more in this area more than I did last year. I trust you. God says, walk with me and you'll be developed in the process and in the journey of faith. Five things that we need to consider, therefore, as we close out this year is number one, do I recognize what God has given me this year? The skills, the funds, the opportunity that have passed through my fingers. Number two, how have I managed the resources that God has given me this year? How have I managed it? That's just some of the things I'm personally doing. I'm looking at everything that's happened this year in our life, in, in the place of our personal life, in the place of our ministry, in the place of work. How have you managed the resources that God has given you this year? 
we often say we want when we when we see that great enough day if we say we want to hear well done thy good and faithful servant well how do you get to that point it's by assessing your life on a routine basis God am I fulfilling what you've called me to do have I been faithful with what you've given me this year number three is God happy with my progression or have I mismanaged his resources the areas of my account my bank account have I mismanaged his resources have I honored God first have I shown that God can promote me number four do I qualify for promotion or should I be really demoted because I've dishonored God who gave me the power to get the wealth. Can God direct me where my money is concerned? Can God direct me where my gifts and my talents and the opportunities he's placed in my hands are concerned? Or do I allow something else to lead me around? Number five, what have I actually learned this year? about my own personal management of my time, my body, and my resources, growth or reduction. What have I learned? Am I better at managing my time this year than I was last year? Or am I continually making excuses? Well, I'm going to get better. Are you going to even get better next year? Well, you won't if you don't make strides to change. And managing my body, my physical body, this is something y'all pray for me that we gotta get this together in this area of exercise and taking care of the physical body because that has to do with management. My resources, the money he's given me, am I, am I a good manager? Now he says, return to me 10%. He says, offer or give an offering, which means give from your heart to me. But essentially what we all need to realize and recognize is that all of it belongs to God because he's the one that gave you the ability to get any of it. And so when he's saying, I want to show you how to live off the 90%, he's showing you, I'm trying to teach you about management and how to have me engaged fully in the area of your finances management what have I actually learned this year what have I learned in, in regards to my giving that God can take care of me or have I continuously been rejecting the lesson that God has been trying to show me how to be dependent on him how to make him Lord of my life instead of my job that my job is exactly that that's my job It's the place of my assignment if it is something that God led me to do Otherwise, it is the place of my own self-reliance. And then when God begins to show you that you have placed this job as the place of your self-reliance, will you repent in your heart and say, God, I submit back to your assignment, your place that you are sending me to, and I submit to you as you are my source. Everybody in their life is going to have to come across this test as to whether or not the job is your source or God is your source. Is the job your source or is God your source? Because what happens if you lose the job? Your God didn't change. What happens if your job circumstances changes? God didn't change. And so what God wants us to do is to see him as Lord and master of your life. And so therefore, when he's Lord of your life, master of your life, that means he's responsible. God, I, I lift my life to you. I submit it to you. So I thank you, Lord, that where you lead, you're prospering. Where you lead, you'll take care of me. Where you lead, just like Joseph and Mary. I might have to spend a little bit right now, but one day when promotion shows up, then you'll be able to see how God has blessed you. And it will seem like it was overnight, when in reality it was about three and a half, maybe four years. 
that you met with the provision that he says, I'm going to put the provision that you're believing for. I'm not going to give it to you in year one. I'm going to set it over here at year number three. And as you continue to walk on the journey, your faith is developing, your trust is developing. And one day the provision that I set over here, you're going to meet up with it, but you're going to be different because you took the steps. And so as we see these areas of our consideration, it's something we all have to look at. Because at this church, our goal, our desire is to be better next year than we are right now. I believe more next year than I believe this year. I can even see in my own life how, how God has been stretching us and stretching us and stretching us. Believe me here. Believe me here. I'll move this out of you so you can believe me more here. And if we don't resist him, but receive the teaching and the training, God is getting us further developed in our personal walk. Three ways that you can get to the training center. One way is by way of our cash app. Second way is by way of our website. And by way of our PO box number. And of course, you can get live in the house. All three ways, technically four, will be received by the training center and we thank you for whatever seed that you are led of the spirit of God to sow into this ministry. We are expecting great things to take place in the year 2020. And we're gonna begin ministering some things on next week regarding what I believe God is leading us into for the year 20. I'm believing God for rapid and expansion growth uh, as far as membership, as far as this building is concerned. And I believe the best is yet to come in your life. So let's just continue to expect God and to believe, to believe the best is indeed yet to come in whatever assignment that God has given you. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we just set ourselves in agreement for every person that's sown into this ministry. Lord, we thank you that the windows of heaven now open over our lives because we're givers. That you rebuke the devourer for our sake because we're givers. That we're supplied for every good work because we're cheerful, prompt to do it givers. Lord, you said in your word, put you in remembrance of your word. So we thank you, Lord, that we put you in remembrance of your word. That we are abundantly supplied. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our Lord, you are our God, and we have an expectation, Lord, for all of our needs to be met because of our obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me say Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. As when we get together on next Sunday, it will have been Christmas. Amen. So we will say from the training center, Merry Christmas to you. I want you to have a wonderful holiday. Don't, do not forget the purpose of the holiday is to celebrate Jesus. It's to celebrate Jesus and his birth and what he ultimately would do on the cross for us. So I want to say Merry Christmas. Once again, there is no midweek until January of 2022 where we will start again with our midweeks. And until then, we want to say bless you and we will see you next week. Amen.